when I went on that mindfulness retreat, like that opened up the door for me to be really honest with myself and the people around me. When I came home, that was when I started talking about like my difficulty with my shaitol and not wanting to cover my hair anymore and really start to have those very hard conversations with my husband and my family by extension, like my nuclear family, my parents and siblings, you know, because they found out it was like a big deal. I came home from that with this respect for myself, you know, like this idea, like there's stuff going on inside of me. There's a way that I'm living my life that's not working for me and I'm feeling stuck. And I think pairing that with the acknowledgement that life is short because there was something like that happened with that too. Like we've got this one life to live and it really did hit me very strongly on that retreat. This is it. Like we all have this one life and we don't know how long we have. And there are some circumstances that we have in life that we cannot change. And then we do our work around those circumstances, like with acceptance and working with the things we, but there's things that we can change that can lead us to a more empowered and authentic existence. This is Hope to Recharge. I'm Atana. I'm here to guide you and support you through your challenging times navigating through depression, anxiety, and other mental health struggles. Thank you, everyone, for joining me here today. I am super excited about this conversation. You know, when you meet people and you just feel like you can put us on an island for like a month and we'll have what to talk about. That is the story with Dr. Leah Katz. I am so, I feel like she gets me. It's something very special when you go through challenges in life and you do the path of self-discovery and suddenly somebody that is very knowledgeable and went through life themselves writes about it. So Dr. Leah Katz wrote the book that I am so grateful to my friend Ali Chevalis that texted me and she said, Matana, I think you're going to love this book. And anything Elisheva recommends, it's like that day I get my hands on it. And I was so grateful that she thought of me. I felt so touched. I'm like, she is somebody that I look up tremendously for her knowledge, her enthusiasm for change, for who she is, for her bright. She's brilliant. And she's a friend. And when she said, I think you're going to enjoy it, I started reading. I couldn't put it down. It was as if I was reading my story, Mm. but from somebody else's perspective that I'd never met. So Dr. Leah Katz, thank you for making me feel belonging. Thank you for validating everything that I felt all the years of my healing. And thank you for bringing your beautiful, beautiful work into the world because it's so needed. And thank you for Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you for that beautiful intro. And I agree. I think I would love to like just go on like a long, long coffee date with you and just keep on talking because I think we do have a lot of in common and a lot of shared experiences. And there's something very powerful about talking about the things that we wouldn't ordinarily talk about because maybe we feel shame around it or we pass judgment or worried about what other people will think. And there's something just so freeing and lightening about finding people who have had similar experiences and can relate and just to be able to talk about it. Also, thank you for having me on. I'm excited for our talk today. (laughs) Yeah, so we were trying to um, narrow down the topics that we can speak about because there's so many. What we're going to focus on in this episode, we already decided that we're going to do a different episode on something else because we won't be able to fit it in all at once. But your book that you wrote, after you've been practicing being a therapist for a while, your book, it's basically a memoir with a workbook. It's like your story how you evolved and you're like, here's what worked for me and I want to share it with the world. And it's a great, great, great book because it touches upon so many different aspects of healing, the mindfulness practice, the gratitude, 
the compassion for us when we're going through healing. It was really, really beautiful. And what touched me the most was to hear a doctor, a therapist, that writes so, so deeply about mindfulness and gratitude and how it's essential, essential to healing. Yeah. You named your book Gutsy. Tell me about yeah. how you chose the name. Yeah. Well, so it actually had a different name and my publisher suggested it at one of our early meetings. It took me a little bit of time to embrace it and feel comfortable with it. But then like I really did, like I loved it because it's gutsy mindfulness practices for everyday bravery. So I feel like I the title gutsy, but then that subtitle is important too. Very. Like this idea of just learning to live your life authentically and get yourself unstuck and mindfulness for me, you know, like that's where this book came from was a huge, huge, huge conduit for me to be able to do that. So I wanted to share that with others that we so, can be gutsy and we can, and it can be small, like small little things, you know, like just doing something that's a little bit out of your comfort zone is gutsy too. Right. And just even thinking about the possibility mm -hmm. is that like we were saying before, just allowing ourselves to think different. If something feels stuck in us and yeah. doesn't feel that we align with it, explore it, visit yeah, it, right. be okay with it without shame, without the fear. And what would it feel like if I was able to address this without the fear of loss or rejection or all that? And it takes guts. It really takes guts to do it. But I think the mindfulness practices is the antidote, right? Mm -hmm. Well, because I think that really what it does is it's like the doorway in, you know, so mindfulness makes us confront whatever is happening for us in this very moment in our thoughts in our feelings and in our bodies and then like the beautiful thing with mindfulness is meeting that with a very compassionate lens you know so it's not like now i'm judging myself for what i'm noticing but i'm what am i actually feeling how can i meet that with love and compassion and then what can i do with that you know like that's sort of the flow what can i do with what i've just found you know so oftentimes it is and it, there are studies that link the practice of mindfulness with bravery because it does take bravery and guts to pause and turn towards our areas of pain in the short term, it feels easier to just sort of distract ourselves away from and we're busy and we're doing this and I don't need to pay attention to that because other things in my life are fine. It does take a lot of bravery to pause and say what's happening. Right. Yeah. And to revisit it and it could be that what's happening for me on this topic could be different in a year. A hundred percent. And I hope, you know, I hope, you know, like that's part of like, that's part of it too. Like we're all always evolving. So like all we know is what we have right now. You know, like that's it. That's the only thing that we know for certain is what's happening for me in this one moment. Right. I don't know how I'm going to be, you know, and tomorrow. I don't know what the world's going to be like. You know, there's like, it's just learning to make peace with all of that uncertainty and know that that's a part of things. And actually that really can enrich in our lives in a very dramatic way, just knowing that it's all so vulnerable. So let's hear a little bit about, before people pick up the book and read it, give us a little bit of a background how you came into this whole topic that mindfulness and gratitude is essential for your day-to-day -day practices and how it came into your life and how you're still growing. You said you have even long-term goals, like you feel like you just touched the surface on living with mindfulness and gratitude. So share with us a little bit about your background and how you got to it. Sure. Yeah. Before I go there, this, just, this thought had struck me before and I didn't say it. But the power of reading about somebody else's experience that you're having too, you know, like that things that we don't talk about is so powerful. And I remember, I forgot what it was exactly, but someone had written a essay on shaitel wearing and their struggle with it and what they decided to do with it. Like this is going back many years, like 12 years ago for or more, maybe in the beginning of my marriage when I was already struggling with that. And I just remember reading this and crying, you know, because there was something so powerful and such a relief to have and to see the bravery of someone else writing about this story where they know that they're opening themselves up to a lot of possible judgment 
and being brave and talking about it and the resonance. So, you know, I think things like that, like reading the other people writing their stories and how powerful it was for me, guided me in some ways to know. And I think I did know, like in the back of my mind, like I have this story and it's really my life has taken a lot of unexpected turns and shifts. And knowing that probably it would resonate the story, like the story of like struggling with something that you're growing up with that's not quite right for you and making you feel unhappy, but feeling like you don't know what to do with it. I felt like this is something that probably other people within this community could relate to or beyond because my book is not just about religious exploration and spirituality. It's just feeling stuck in life in general that I felt like I could offer in this book, you know, so my own personal experiences, which felt important to me to include because they have been so pivotal. But then the pairing of that with my clinical experience as a psychologist and the research behind it, because I feel like all of that's very important. So to get at your question a little bit more, like what inspired me or what happened? And I don't know, actually, this is exactly what you're asking. So I want to know, just give us a little bit of the book goes into detail about your story, but let's give the audience your background, where you grew up. Okay. And how you got into what you're doing and what led you to write your book, where you're holding now. Okay. Sounds great. So I grew up in New York, in Muncie, New York, the youngest of five kids. And I went to school in in Muncie and I went to high school in New York City in Manhattan. And I went to college in the city as well. I got my graduate degree from Furkoff, YU School of Psychology, many, many years ago. And I was always drawn to therapy and clinical work because of experiences that I had with people in my life. I had somebody very close to me struggle with an eating disorder. And so in my mind, as when I was in high school, this was happening. I had, oh, I really want to help people like that. And so like that was what planted the seeds of me going into therapy and clinical work. And then I had some amazing professors. I went to Stern College while I was there, psychology professors that I really looked up to and I really admired the work that they were doing. And so I just had these different shaping experiences that shaped me and helped me go down the path of wanting to pursue a career in clinical work. What opened me up to mind, so this is interesting, like, so that was that I was doing that for a long time. And then I had had my own therapist who was a big mindfulness person. Like she had gone on many mindfulness retreats and she would talk about it or sometimes like she'd go on vacation, but like it wasn't a vacation, like she'd go on like a mindfulness retreat for two weeks. Like I knew that about her and I'd known her for many years. Um, And she would like bring in mindfulness a little bit into our sessions, but she would say like from time to time, like, I really think you should try going on a mindfulness retreat. I think it would be really good for you. So I was struggling with a lot of self-doubt and anxiety. And at the time I was, you know, in my late teens, early 20s dating. And that was like a very big thing for me in terms of figuring out dating and relationships and getting engaged and who I would marry. And that was a big thing. So she like would like make these little pushes, you know, like, I think you should try it out. And I don't know like exactly how I just decided to go for it because I hadn't been a meditator or and I hadn't really practiced mindfulness in any meaningful way. But when my family moved from New York to Portland, I guess it's like nine years ago now, I had this space. I wasn't working and I had some time already. I was married already. I've been married for, yeah, I've been married for several years at that point. And we were moving, my husband's from Portland. So we were moving from New York to Portland with our son who was three at the time. And there was this mindfulness retreat. I think she told me about it. So this one's coming up. See if you can get into it. Because at that time, like these retreats were hard to get into just because there were so many people who wanted to go to them. So I was like, okay, like no harm in trying to get in. I can always cancel. (laughs) So I did. Like I asked my brother and my sister and my husband and like to all call in because registration opened at nine. And like she had told me like they feel right away. So like by 902 would be filled and so I had really? like she's like get people she told me how to do this she's like get people to call in all at the same time maybe one of you will get it's like it. a fish it concert like, right 
I, I guess so. I mean, that's something I don't know, but <laughs> I don't know from my own personal experience. I bet like, yeah, my like, friend told me, she's like, I need you to call. I'm like, to watch. And I said, what is it? She's like, no, uh-huh. just trust me. So you'll be on the line for a while. I need six <laughs> people to call for me. <laughs> that's hysterical. That's so funny. So exactly. Like a fish concert, except this was a mindfulness retreat with John Kabat-Zinn, who is oh my God. And that's why, you know, he did it with Saki Santorelli, both amazing people. Wow. A lot of research in this area. And it was a mindfulness-based stress reduction, seven-day mindfulness retreat. So I had, like, the people who would call in. I was, like, a little bit embarrassed to ask people, like, I'm, like, I'm, there's this thing I want to go on. I don't even know if I told them. Like, I want to go on this thing. Can you just call up for me? <laughs> right. So we all called in. And it was, like, busy, busy, busy. No one got through. And, like, slowly, like, you know, they would tell me, like, my brother, you know, sorry, I can't do it. I, like, I can't try anymore. It's been, like, 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And so they dropped off. And I was had the time. And I was just persistent. So I just, like, kept on calling. I'm, like, okay, I'll get myself on the wait list. Even if it's like the 500th person, you know, like I, like I just want to get through. It must have been an hour to two hours. I just kept on trying this number over and over and over again. Finally, someone picked up the phone and get this. This is like a crazy story. I might have put it in the book, but I don't know if I did. So she picked up the phone. I was like ready to say like, yeah, like you can put me on the wait list. I'm never going to get into this retreat. Maybe next time. And she said, OK, like, what's your information? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you got in. And I was like, so confused. I'm like, but wait, I've been trying for two hours. How did I get in? She said, the lines crashed. So many people were trying to get in that the lines crashed. And that's why it's so busy for so long. And I guess like they fixed the lines and whoever was persistent got into this retreat. There's a sign from Hashem that I'm supposed to do this or the universe or whatever you want to call it. Like it's meant to be, I'm going, you know? And so that's so I went and it was incredibly life-changing. One second. How many people were at this retreat that it was so hard to get to? I think that there's 200 people there. It was in Rhinebeck, New York at Omega, if anyone listening. It's like, it's a big retreat center. It's actually, I think it used to be an old religious girls camp. So it's like set up like a camp. But 200 people get in, but they have a waiting list. You know, like people really wait the whole year. I don't think they do it anymore, this particular MBSR one, but this was a popular one. Like people will come from all over the world. It was the coolest thing. Like For seven days. Pause your life for seven days. Yeah. And it was like I had never meditated before. So it was I like just jumped right into the deep end. And like the first couple of days, I had no idea what I was doing there. You know, I was like this, like, what did I sign myself up for? (laughs) Wow. What bravery. (laughs) I think that's like the enemy of gutsy. You like tried something that somebody that you respected said can help you. And you said, yeah, just because I respect her so much, she's helping me so much. If she's saying I am trusting that there's something I could grow from in this place. So I'm just going to put myself out there and I'm going to do it. Yeah, that was it. And I remember like, actually, that I forgot all about this, but I think it was a couple of days before I went on the retreat. I remember calling her up, my therapist, and saying like, what do people wear on these retreats? Should I pack business clothes? <laughs> <She's> like, no, <laughs> it's yoga, yoga clothes. <laughs> I have like no idea. That's so <laughs> such, it's such a beautiful story of how you evolve, like, right? It's so beautiful. It just, wow. So you went there and then did it take you seven days to fall in love with it or to say, this is not for me? What happened? So she helped me a lot. Like, cause she, this is like, she really, she was a big meditator. She got on many, many, many of these retreats. So she like sort of played it out. And it, my experience did line up with how she mentally prepared me for it. Mm-hmm. So she said, and this was what was my experience, like the first couple of days or two to three days, it'll be like, really, what am I doing here? Because it is like you start meditating at 6 a.m. in the morning. You meditate pretty much the whole day until like 9 p.m. at night. Like it's really intense, but you change it up. It's different kinds of meditations. So there's walking meditation and body scans and 
different kinds of meditation. So it's not like broken up and you have breakfast, lunch and dinner. But she said, it'll take a few days to get into it. Like the first few days, you'll be wondering like, what the heck did I just sign myself up for? And then you like notice some sort of shift happening midway through, which is what happened. There's something biological and neurological that happens when we meditate for that sort of concentrated time. Something does happen and you start to create this shift for yourself between yourself and your experiences. And this idea like that I can hold an awareness around what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling and how my body's doing in a very different sort of way. And that's what happened. So midway through, I had the shift. And then like from there, it was still hard work. It's very like, it's really annoying to sit and like meditate the whole day. But I felt a difference. And then I came home at the end of seven days. I really, and not to sound cliched about it, but transforms my life. Remember the day I came home, I just like I walked back into my house that we were in the middle of packing up because we were moving to Portland. And I felt like a different person. I felt lighter. I felt clearer. I felt happier. It was like, it was pretty profound for me. Wow. Did you have a private practice at the time? No. Mm -mm. I worked not yet. Practice. I worked in Muncie. Yeah. Wow. So that was the beginning of your journey with mindfulness. Why do you think yeah. your therapist pushed you so much? Was it you or that she saw the shift that it created in her own life and she wanted this joy for everyone? She's like, life without mindfulness is just not the same level of life. I think it was a combination of both. I mean, she was really committed to this lifestyle. I remember her once telling me, like, she told me, me and my husband don't go on fancy vacations. Like, we spend our vacation money on mindfulness retreats. But, yeah. like, that's what we do. So I know that it was coming from that place of her having tasted it herself. And I did work with her for many years. She knew me and knew my process and I had anxiety and all, like I said before, self-doubt and, you know, like, just, I think, her hoping that this would help me find myself more. She sounds like a very spiritual person. No, oh, very spiritual. She was amazing. She was like huge. And I write about her uh, in my book. She right, huge. I mean, I think sometimes like if she hadn't suggested that I do this, but I found it a different way. Of course, we never know the answer to that. But mm -hmm. she is the person who suggested I do it and pushed me to do it. And I did it. And it's changed my life. Wow. So you grew up orthodox, very orthodox, right? We yeah. forgot to mention that, that you yes. grew up very orthodox. And you were in the self-discovery, finding your true authenticity, yeah. longing. You write it in the book, but let's tap into it a little bit here. At what point did you really give yourself permission to say, wait, is the life I'm living what I believe in and what I want and my belonging, or am I just fitting in? This episode of the Hope to Recharge podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. Is there something that's preventing you from achieving your goals or interfering with your happiness? Maybe it's anxiety, stress, or worry, or what's going on in the world right now. BetterHelp.com will assess your needs and match you with your licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online with a broad range of expertise available, depending on what you need, and the service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send messages your counselor and betterhelp.com is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and make it easy and free to change your counselors if you need to. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aids available. Betterhelp.com wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit betterhelp.com slash hope to recharge. That's betterhelp.com slash hope to recharge and join over a million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You'll also get 10% off your first month. Once again, that's betterhelp.com slash hope to recharge. Yeah, not to put too much on it and not to say this would be everybody's experience, but I do think that when I went on that mindfulness retreat, like that opened up the door for me to be really honest with myself and the people around me. When I came home, that was when I started talking about like my difficulty with my shaitol and not wanting to cover my hair anymore and really 
start to have those very hard conversations with my husband and my family by extension, like my nuclear family, my parents and siblings, you know, because they found out it was like a big deal. But I think like that, I came home from that with this respect for myself, you know, like this idea, like no, there's stuff going on inside of me. There's a way that I'm living my life that's not working for me and I'm feeling stuck. And I think pairing that with the acknowledgement that life is short because there was something like that happened with that too. Like we've got this one life to live and it really did hit me very strongly on that retreat. This is it. Like we all have this one life and we don't know how long we have. And there are some circumstances that we have in life that we cannot change. And then we do our work around those circumstances, like with acceptance and working with the things we, but there's things that we can change that can lead us to a more empowered and authentic existence. And so I came home with that, like really wanting to honor that and I think, you know, just a little bit about my background. So I grew up in, like I said before, Muncie in a very religious home, the youngest of five kids, you know, like sort of this is the path that was laid out for me. I went to Basiakov schools and there wasn't really a choice about how to do things. You know, do you want to cover your hair when you get married? No, of course not. Like, that's what we do. You know, like right. this is what we're right. laid out. And right. I think along the way with different things, even when as a youngster, when I was young, you know, like there were things that like felt sad to me or didn't feel quite right for me, but I just learned to accept compartmentalize, like put it on the side, not even accept. I don't know if I accepted it. It was more like just putting it on the side and okay, there's nothing I can do about that. So I'm going to focus on like the other amazing areas of my life. And there was lots of amazing areas of right. my life. I mean, I, it wasn't bad by any stretch of, you know, like I, there was a lot of great stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but that mindfulness retreat helped me really pay attention to, you know, like the pieces that I was not happy with. And for me, like the first thing that I really started exploring was hair covering because I did not like that. And it was making me very unhappy and making me feel very stuck. And so it was hair covering. And it was also, I think, the way I dressed, you know, so I dressed like very modestly. And that also like always felt sad to me because I always loved clothes. And I always like would walk past like the things in the stores that I can, in my mind, so I can never buy that or I can never wear that, mm -hmm. you know, like pants or whatever it was, you know. And I think on that, I'm trying to remember, yeah, on that first mindfulness retreat, I think it's the first time that I wore yoga pants out without a skirt over it, you know, like so. And I remember looking at myself in the gift shop. Freedom? So free, freeing. I have this memory. And it's funny because I haven't talked about this. And I don't think this is in my book, you know, but like I remember there was a little gift shop at the retreat center and I was wearing my black yoga pants and a sweatshirt, whatever I was wearing. I remember catching a glimpse of myself in the mirror. Mm. And like, it was powerful. Oh, oh, wow. wow. I can do this. Like I can make a change in my life. I can live my life in a way that feels truer and happier and lighter for me. Of course, everyone has different experiences. Right, right. Yeah. So I think the retreat gave you permission to feel what it feels like without the fear of judgment and losing everyone that you are very close to based on the shifts that you're going to make in your life, the changes. And yeah. I think what a lot of times what keeps us stuck and we, yeah. wanna, we love the community, we love our families, we love so much of what religious structure is all about but there's some things that just don't fit and we're afraid to challenge it because we're afraid we're going to lose it all and yeah it's worth choosing ourselves and then we might lose people that just don't get it like we get right it. we do the work and we're it's what works for us and all right. we want to do is not lose that loved one so it's like a tug of war am i going to lose myself in order to be with my community my family the way they want me to show up Right. Versus not losing my authentic self and living with our true authentic self and taking the risk that they might never see us the same way and they might not accept us the way we want to be accepted. And there's a grieving part there and there's a fear part there. But I think when you went to the retreat, mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, I get to see myself and no one here is going to judge me and no one here yeah. be less of me 
or right. think badly of me and I can feel what it feels like in a safe place. Right, exactly. And for me, that became my guiding star. You know, like that, that I came home like not wanting to lose that. And again, like I, and I really emphasize this in my book, like knowing everyone's path is different, you know, and right. so someone might not make that choice and decide that they don't want to rock the boat and everyone has their own, right, their own rationale. But for me, it felt like I needed that, like I needed that to be a part of my life so that I could live my The best. sacrifice was too big for you if you continued living somebody else's way of living. Yeah. Yeah. Sacrifice. Yeah. I do believe that it's about like each one, an individual has to have uh -huh. about the sacrifice. What are they? Yeah. Life is all about sacrificing something, yeah. right? It's a give and take, like we were talking before. There's no perfect match in any relationship. It's a growth. It's evolving together. It's a give and take. And right. when we realize that we can do this self-discovery in a safe place and say, you know what, we might lose something, mm -hmm. but what we're going to gain out of it, and it's each thing individual, is more important to me. It's more valuable to me. And when you were saying that, I need to share a story. They speak about how to heal with gratitude how to use gratitude in your healing journey, I should say that, that mm -hmm. more accurate. And I was doing a gratitude practice. There was a lady that came to me afterwards that I want to talk to you. This lady lives in Williamsburg, mm -hmm. shaves her hair, very insightful. I was mm -hmm. in awe of how much she mm -hmm. understood about life. It was inspiring. Mm -hmm. So she I started talking, she started crying and she said, um, she has a lot of body shaming. Mm -hmm. And she had such a hard time getting out the words. And she said, I'm stuck in a marriage and it's not his fault. I just didn't want to be there. I never wanted to be there. I was never asked like what I wanted to marry, who I should marry. I was told, get wow. married, you're 18, have children, get on with life. And that's it. She said, I met my husband once and we got married. And she said, I sometimes feel like I'm a walking body. I don't know if I'm male or female. Aww. She said, I'm a shell with a goof, blina shama, body without a soul. Yeah. Anyway, so I was like just listening and I was like so inspired by her courage to even say these words. My God, let alone wow. feel them. I'm like, oh my goodness. Anyway, we started working. And then after a few times that we were meeting, she doesn't even have Zoom. We were doing phone sessions because she doesn't have internet. And she shared with me, she said, can I read out what I write in my diary? I said, you have a diary? That's so beautiful. And she said, yeah. And she has this dream that she's going to go to India one day. And surf in a yoga pants with her tank top, with her hair blowing in the breeze. And she said, and then I'm going to feel free. And I said, how do you even know what India is? Like, well, how do you uh -huh. know why India? Uh -huh. And she said, I always hide books in my closet. I go to the library and I hide books. She's very poetic. And I thought she's so in touch with what she's feeling. Now, I don't know if she's going to feel free. I don't know. I said, you know, it's going to take years because you don't have hair. She said, and she giggled and she said, yeah, I know that in order for me to feel that hair blowing uh -huh. in the breeze is going to take me a long time. She's like, I'm holding on to that dream. And wow. she said, I'm feeling safe to share it with you because I know wow. you're not going to judge me as a bad person just because oh. I have this dream. I was like, I'm so touched that you were willing to share that story with me. I think it just shows that we can give ourselves permission to think outside of what we're taught. And when we don't give ourselves permission to think or to ponder or to explore, that is punishment. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of like that, my own epiphanies like that, you know, not as extreme and not growing up as extreme, you know, but like with the shaito wearing and like 
looking at myself in the mirror with the sheets all and feeling like a sort of despair, like, oh, I guess this is just the way it's always going to be for me. You know, mm-hmm. I hated it. Yeah. And then I remember the shift, you know, of allowing myself to think like, well, maybe it doesn't have to be this way for me. And you maybe know? it doesn't. Maybe I, right. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe I can make changes. And what would that look like? And I was going to say this before, too, like when we worry about the risks of stepping outside of expectations and how will other people relate to me or judge me. I think that oftentimes like we can, not all the time, sometimes it is realistic and that is, but sometimes a lot of times like when we get stuck in our heads, we play it out to be more extreme and scarier than it actually. And we look, we imagine like the end of it, you know, like the end of it, like, well, what are people going to think, you know, but if we just break it down into small steps, if this is what's right for the individual, let me just take this next step and then see what happens. And let me take this next step and see what happens. And how I feel in it. And maybe how I feel. Right. Because maybe what we think we're going to feel, we're not going to feel. And then that's liberating also. Oh, this is not the freedom I was looking for. It's not about the XYZ that I'm feeling. It's something deeper and let's explore. But if we never take the step, we will never know. Completely. So it's keeping tabs on yourself and it's checking in with the people around you and people who you're living with. And I think it's all part of it. But I think that's an important piece, which is aside from anyone's individual journey, this idea like that when we're feeling anxious about something, we tend to get in our heads and mm-hmm. overplay it and catastrophize. And so just knowing that we do that, you know, especially with bigger, scarier things. So trying to get ourselves away from that narrative. Right. Mm-hmm. And also the part of God. We're very godly. Like the religious community, we value our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And we're afraid if we step away from this word of God, quote unquote, that mm-hmm. we're taught to do, is God going to reject us? And I think right. that is one of the biggest fears. Yeah. The misconception or the confusion of if I show up like this, God loves me. And if not, he might punish me yeah. or I'll go to hell or I'm going to pay a price for it. How did you deal with that? Do you sometimes feel stuck? Do you wish you can be somewhere else? Do you have a vision of where you want to get to, but you just don't know what the first step to take in order to get to that life that you're dreaming of? Many people ask me, what did I do in order to create this wellness that I'm living in? How did I shift from deep depression, from extreme anxiety to a thriving life, to a productive life, to a life full of joy? I put many things into practice and it's every single day. Many of you know that it's gratitude, a healthy mindset boundaries, self-love, and one of the most important things that many people don't speak about, forgiveness, self-forgiveness and forgiveness to others, essential for healing. If you want to work one-on-one with me in order to move forward towards that dream life that you have a vision of, click the link below in the show notes. It's a custom-made program for you, one-on-one with me. We will develop a concrete program that you can implement in your life so you can create a better well-being. Click the link below. Looking forward to working with you. And now enjoy the rest of the episode. If I show up like this, God loves me. And if not, he might punish me or I'll go to hell or I'm going to pay a price for it. How did you deal with that? I mean, I think for me, a lot of it, because I am a spiritual person, you know, who does feel connected in many ways, but I had to redefine like, who is God to me and who is my God? And that's actually the podcast that I heard. I think I told you about it, this podcast when we spoke on the, like a little, and I never sent it to you. I have to send it to you. It's beautiful, beautiful podcast from this Catholic priest. But like, you know, so sometimes like with like religion, like he used the term, like as he developed in his relationship with his spirituality and religion, where he had to fire gods 
you know, and I just, I like that. Like, no, no, this God isn't, I'm going to fire this God because this God, the God that, that I was taught or that, that I think is going to punish me with something terrible because I feel like I need to live this truth. That's not my God anymore, right? Like that's not, I'm going to fire this one. I'm going to hire this God, I'm the God of love and the God of acceptance and the God of like, that just really wants to hold kindness. Yes, exactly. So yeah, I mean, it was a stunning podcast episode and I like it really does summarize, I think like this walk, you know, like where we, I think some of it is like this cognitive process, like what was I brought up with and how do I view God? And does that make sense to me anymore? Did it ever really make sense to me? You know, like we were talking before we started recording about like the black and whiteness, you know, like if I uncover my hair, you know, like there's like a certain linearity, like then God will punish me like bad, right. things, bad, bad things are going to happen to me. Right, right. And Thankfully, I had people in my life, you know, challenge me on that because it was so true to me. But I had like I shared that I shared that story. You could share it. You can share the story. story. I love like I really think it's just like really highlights the way that I thought about things and the shift away from it. But when we when I first got married 15 years ago, so the story happened 15 years ago because it was a couple months after we got married. We lived in Queens and I belonged to an all women's gym. And one day after school, I stopped by the gym to work out for a little bit. And I was like very, I was young. I was naive. I like changed into my gym clothes. I took my shaitel off. I was wearing my shaitel. I put it in the gym locker and I came back 45 minutes later. I didn't lock the locker and everything was there except for my shaitel. Someone had stolen my shaitel. It's like this beautiful, expensive shaitel, a couple months old. I'd just gotten married and I was devastated. And we filed a police report and I called my husband on the phone. I was crying. And I remember telling him like maybe Hashem made my shaitel get stolen because like I wasn't covering my hair as well as I should have been. And it wasn't even like I did cover my hair, but maybe I like had some pieces out in the front, you know, like maybe like that, or maybe that's why this happened. And like, that was such a natural way of trying to understand what had happened to me. And he said to me, or maybe you should have just locked your locker. (laughs) (laughs) And I got so upset with him. Yeah, I mean, we were like young, you know, like we were young, you know, so forget about like communication skills. I was like so upset with him on like the spiritual principle. Like, what do you mean? Like, no, this is a message from Hashem and I'm supposed to be taking this and understanding this. And I don't even like, you know, I'm sure we got into like an argument about it. And then I remember going to my therapist, the one who we were talking about before and like telling her the story, like still with like such like, you know, can you believe he said that? (laughs) And she, who's like like an Orthodox lady herself was like, maybe you should have locked your locker. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, I really looked up to her. I was like, oh, I could think like that. Oh, so you mean like not everything has this cause and effect. Like Hashem's not punishing me. Well, like all the bad things that happen to my life aren't because I'm doing something wrong religiously. Like it was was an epiphany for me. And I was in my early twenties. I never thought about that, but it's such a pivotal story for me, you know, just starting to think about it in a different way, like taking, stepping away from like that linearity. Like it's not my God or the one that I choose to believe in isn't going to punish me that's not that fire and brimstone you know like, yeah and my kids make fun of me and my kids friends make fun of me because I always say there's no hell uh-huh I said the hell that you think about is not hell I believe that the next world is a beautiful place it's mm-hmm. a beautiful place full of clarity and joy and connection and the only part that might be hard is like oh now I understand everything I wish I knew so clearly what I knew now give me a second chance because now I like I see it differently And what you said about God, I'm firing God. When I was going through my mental health challenges and what I shouldn't say my breakdown 13 years ago, I didn't believe in the God that everybody believed in. And I remember as a little kid, I was the base Yako perfect girl, did everything by the rules. 
And I was quiet and timid and shy. But when I used to open my mouth, I used to say, do you really think this is what Hashem wants? And I used to challenge and people are like, wow, yeah, of course. And I would tell Ima, do you really think this is what Hashem wants? They would look at me like, of course, look in the books. The books say that. And it was always, and it was my broken record. Is this what Hashem wants? And I was always looked down upon about my questioning. Is this what Hashem wants? Because why are you questioning? You see, it says you have to. And it was a void, a void. Like my, for, for years I was living with this void of this can't be godly. It doesn't feel godly. Hashem is supposed to be love. Right? If we're connecting, if I'm davening and I'm connecting, it has to be something I'm looking for intimacy with, not something that I fear. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I used to say, why am I on Yom Kippur telling him everything bad that I did? Uh huh. Why don't I, like in psychology, we say, like, talk about the good for your, like, with your children. Right. That's to do good. Tell right. Them, let you do good. Don't say, well, you did this bad and you did this bad and you're an awful person. And when they come and say, oh, mommy, I did A, B, C, D, E, F, G, bad, what are we going to say? Yeah, you're right. You were uh-huh. a very bad boy no and it affects us and i didn't totally. I, I never connected to it and i remember mm-hmm. one teacher once telling me and if you don't say the alchet with all the explanation mm-hmm. afterwards of paragraphs and explanation you're not yotze you're not uh-huh not if you say it right i'm not saying yeah. it at all and it was like my little secret with god because i couldn't share that openly because i would be rejected wow. or mocked uh-huh. made fun of or looked down upon. I'm like, okay, I, but God loves me, so I don't care. Wow. But And then, but I was resentful because I was living other people's life that they wanted, right. that they believed in. And I had so many things that I want more from God. I said, I expect more from the God that I want a relationship with. And wow. through my depression, I was able to come together, meet the new God that I chose. Wow. I said, I'm wow. no longer, life is too precious. If I went through this breakdown, I'm reconnecting with or disconnecting from relationships that don't work. And the God that I was taught mm-hmm. much of is not the God I want to connect. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but it's, so that's why I always say it's called a belief. No one can force a belief in my heart. Right. And it's not a emunah. So you can't force it. It's an emotion. Right. And when I fell in love with a new God, it was like harmony. And people say, but you're spiritual, but not so you don't like, quote unquote, you're not as religious as you Mm -hmm. grew up. I'm like, spirituality and religion are not the same. You could be spiritual and not follow the religious code. Right. You'll be an observant Jew and you could still be religious and whatever. But I see so many of the strict rules take away from the spirituality, the intimacy, the raw, the vulnerability with Hashem, with God. And, and when I see struggles with things that I like with the hair covering mm-hmm. or with the mikvah, I struggle and I talk to God about it. And I say, like, what's in this for me? Like, how am I feeling? Is this the purpose? Mm-hmm. And, and not knowing answers, not knowing God, but knowing that God accepts me for that. Yeah. Well, it's beautiful. And I am so impressed with your bravery as a young child to know that you believed and you were you allowed yourself to believe different you know so there was the dissonance that you were doing things that didn't add up but like that you felt like you could relate differently to god or like if the you know around yom kippur with the all faiths you know if just didn't feel right you know it's interesting that was a part in gutsy that my book that i wrote about that i took out like about i had always had a hard time with that too oh you did take it i took it out because i I, you know i was so careful i didn't want like anything to get misread and i really like that something 
But I you know like standing there and hearing people wailing and feeling like they're such awful, terrible people when it always felt to me like we're so good. Like we're so we're trying good. so hard. We're yeah. trying so hard. And I remember like when I was in seminary, we would have the Vidoy, you know, like the mm-hmm. confession booklet and we'd write down like as much as we could all the things we remember from that year, all the terrible right. bad things. We did not even terrible, like they were such tiny little things. Right. All really good people. Right, right. It was hard for me to digest that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I struggle with it till today. Yeah. I struggle because I do want the people that I love and admire and respect mm-hmm. to see that it's mm-hmm. not about the me showing up like they feel comfortable for me to show up. Right. It's That's so tough. hard. It's so hard. And I don't know. I think for me, the ultimate healing will be when I'm at peace that the people that I adore and love mm-hmm. and respect won't get me. And that's okay. And I agree with you a hundred percent, you know, like that, like from my own journey, from the things that I do in therapy and as much as we want to, so we can like, we can validate that this is such a human. We want the people who we love and who love us to see us and to get us and under, we want that. So we can acknowledge that and meet that desire and know we don't need that to feel whole. And we don't even need that to be close to people, you know, like that sometimes it's, this is my reality that I'm living with. And I know you have a very different relationship with all of this and your reality looks different than mine. And that's okay. Like right. that, we can just know that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's my husband's MO and that's okay. And that's okay. We started it during COVID when things were so like different. And I said, but we didn't do X, Y, and Z. And he's like, and that's okay. Mm. I'm like, Wow. That's such freedom. So we started using yeah. it for so many things, and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. But a lot of people will listen to this and say, "What do you mean?" And that's okay. But the Torah says X, Y, Z. So I'm going to ask you, like, how do you deal with that when mm-hmm. someone says, "But it's not okay." You're, you the Torah says that you can do X, Y, Z, and you do value religion and you do value yeah. guidelines and spirituality and God. So how do you deal with that? So, and again, like everyone has a different journey and different things that they need to do for themselves. But a big part of my Jewish journey, my religious journey and part of spirituality too, has been exploring Judaism from different angles than what I was brought up with. Because we have a very, very rich heritage and lots of writing and lots of ways of understanding things and interpreting things that I recognize that I came from, like I was taught the sliver of it. And that was presented to me, or at least how I felt it was presented to me. as like, this is it. This is Judaism. Part of my path, and I think I shared this with you when we spoke on the phone too, you know, like before, has been befriending and understanding Jews from different walks and paths and, you know, very, very people who also identify very strongly as Jewish, but not Orthodox. Some as, you know, very, very philosophically conservative or reform. And I'm in Portland, Oregon. So I have this very diverse friend circle, a lot of Jewish women who are from all different walks of life. So getting to know them and understand them and understand how they attach to their Judaism is just, it helps inform me in terms of like, what do I want to do here? And what's this for me? And how do I feel about it? And I've been doing this two-year fellowship, Jewish Learning Leadership Fellowship. It's almost done. This is the end of the second year where we've gone through like all of Tanakh, like we've gone through like learning all the things again, but from like different angles. So there, there's different rabbis that come in from different walks of life, conservative rabbis, orthodox rabbis, different like just teaching different things. And so it's been really eye-opening for me to learn mm-hmm. from Jews with different backgrounds and like recognize that there's legitimacy in a lot of things that I didn't feel there was, you know, like I would just sort of discounted all of it because it wasn't what I was raised grew up with yeah right right so i mean for me that's so it's been really rewarding 
But actually, it's interesting because it, I think I like it started. So I'm doing like and it's a value for me. So I carry it into my life today, like with this program that I'm doing. But when I went to graduate school, it was the first time that I was with, I went to a Jewish Furkoff, you know, YU School of Psychology. It's not only Jewish people, but like it's a Jewish run institution. And it was the first time that I was in school with Jews who were different than me. And that was, I remember like that was a big shift for me. I'm like, oh, you could, there's different ways to be Jewish. Hmm. I remember thinking that like for the very first time, because I had gone to like Beis Yaakov and, you know, even Stern was a big break for my family. I was like the modern choice. Like that wasn't really so good that I went to Stern. So it was, you know, I think exposure is, yeah, for me has been very enriching. Yeah. I had that when I went to Hong Kong when I was 19 to Hong Kong for a year to live in the, it was under Chabad, but it wasn't really mm -hmm. Chabad because we taught at the Jewish day school uh -huh. there. I went with a Chabad girl and I always talk about her. She's a close, dear friend of mine. Uh -huh. And Chabad have such a more open outlook on Jews in general. Yeah. And when I told her I was volunteering in a um, special needs school and her brother was in the hospital for open heart surgery. So we did a night shift together and she was, it was the first time I met her. And I uh, said to her, I said, uh, so what, how old are you? She said, I'm 17 and I'm going to Hong Kong next year. She said, I'm Lubavitch. I'm going to Slichud. I said, can I come with you? Like, I, I literally didn't know her. <laughs> and she started laughing. She said, aren't you Litvish? I'm like, yeah, so what? She's like, you're not going to laugh at me. But it was my naive part and my desire to explore. And she's like, your parents are never going to let you go. I said, why not? She's like, because you're not Lubavitch. You're not going to go and live in a Lubavitch home and teach in a day school. You're Litvish. And the truth is, I came home and I told my mom, I want to go to Hong Kong. She's like, what? I said, don't say yes or no, just listen. <laughs> and it was like, like, like I was saying, I want to go to the moon. Like, wow. I ended up going and it was the most refreshing experience because you saw all walks of life, uh -huh. all walks of Judaism over there. Wow. And they got along so beautifully. Wow. It was so refreshing. And it just wow. opened my mind to, wow, there's different ways of connecting to God and they're all beautiful. Uh -huh. And no one's judgmental here. And it's so nice. And wow, I love this. And I remember it was every Rosh Hashanah. Every Rosh Hashanah. We're there maybe a week and a half, two weeks, something like that. My friend Shulamit, I share this story often because it's so pivotal. She's the one that I went with. And we were the only ones in Hong Kong. We knew each other. And that's it. And we had to just get along with everyone and wow. figure it out. And I said, oh, my God, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. It's Yom Adin. It's Rosh Hashanah. And then Yom Kippur. And oh, my God. And she looked at me and she's like, you're scared? Uh-huh. Yes. She's like, it's the most beautiful day. I said, what are you saying? She's like, Hashem is accessible. We're connecting to wow. the creator. And I, I'm like, okay, she's a koferet. Like, she doesn't know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, but she was doing chitat. She was doing the whole thing. And she was so spiritual. And she was connected to Hashem. I'm like, oh, this is so liberating. This is so um, beautiful. Wow. And she taught me, she was the first person that taught me Ahavat Hashem. Oh, wow. Ahavat Hashem. And until today, I laugh about it. My Shulamit, you taught me intimacy with God. You just wow. taught me that. Beautiful. Yeah. And it was just the first, like, wow, there's other than what we know. And that's okay. And many, and I want to make it very clear that we're not bashing anybody, but we have oh. to know where we belong and what is authentic to us. And are we living with our truth? 
or someone else's truth because we got one life. Just like you said, we have one life. Let's do yeah. it right where it feels good. And a lot of times mental illness, I hear from people that come to me from for depression and they like, well, how did you heal? I said, it's really about me going and seeing what was working, what was not working, what was I suppressing? Uh -huh. And a lot of it comes from religious suppression, right? Do you see that also? I mean, I'm working with a very different clientele now, so it's hard for me to say. It's been a long time. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that like it's depression, right? So religious yeah. depression. I think any time that we're cutting ourselves off of a part of ourselves, exactly, we feel stuck. You know, like stuck is just a perception, right? Like we're never physically stuck unless we're actually physically stuck, like in a jail or something. But, right. you know, like just feeling stuck, like I think that that's a shift in and of itself to be able to say, oh, that's just a perception. What's mm -hmm. making me feel stuck? What? I do to help myself get unstuck in whatever area of life that is for you. You know, that's what my book is about. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, touch upon uh, gratitude. So part of mindfulness practice is also being grateful. We can go through a very hard time, but choose to be grateful for what is working. It doesn't have to be grateful for the pains. We don't have no. to be grateful for the pain, but the choice to be grateful I appreciate gratitude practices and I think it's what keeps me going. It makes me live alive. I said there's the survive and then there's living alive and living with gratitude just makes you live alive. As much as I talk about it, I feel like I want to talk about it 10 times more, but I have this shame. A part of me is shame. Like, wait, are people going to say, well, you have a good life. It's easy for you to be grateful. But mm -hmm. it's not that I like everything is amazing by me. It's that when I don't live with gratitude, everything mm -hmm. becomes so much more difficult. And I'm wondering what your thoughts on toxic positivity and gratitude and how you do it. And I don't believe in toxic positivity. I believe it's either toxic or positive, but you can't merge them. But I do believe that gratitude can make everything easier. Yeah. Right. So talk to me about your journey with gratitude and, and what does it look like with in your day-to-day -day life. And then the next follow-up question is, when one of your clients come to you with something really, really difficult, do you work with them on the tool of gratitude? Do you help them go through that those practices in order to get through the hard time? Yeah, so gratitude is huge. There's lots of science that supports its benefits and bringing it more and more into our lives. Lots and, you know, like it's very validating to have science back up your own and my own two personal experiences that this gratitude really does help. So absolutely, it's something that I do practice a lot of personally, and I bring it into my professional, you know, like the clinical work that I do as well. And I think like, again, not to put too much on it, but I really do think that like a mindfulness practice breeds gratitude because like there's just something that happens with this awareness of how fleeting the moments are and how fleeting life really is. And how much beauty is around us. I think like that was what happened for me with starting to mind meditate more. Just noticing like how beautiful nature is and the intricacies of uh, you just look down on the ground. If you're listening to this podcast and you're going for a walk or wherever, just look down and you see like how beautiful it is, like how amazing and intricate it is. And like that leads us to gratitude. So for me, I think that like the mindfulness helps with gratitude. And I also like I'm very concrete with it. So when I have time, I, you know, sometimes I'm better about it. Sometimes I'm not as good about it. Like I'll try and like really wake up early, start my day with like my planner. What am I doing today? And like I write down five gratitudes always like on the, you know, on the right hand side of my journal. Like what are just like the five things? Like I don't overthink it. A lot of times I repeat, you know, but like it's just a way of setting the day. And something I heard recently on a podcast that I really liked a lot, which sounds very, you know, simple. But for me, it really I've been using it in my own life is just saying to ourselves in any moment. 
and you can do this right now if you're listening like this is a good moment this is a good moment like I just did that this morning I was like feeling a little off this morning and I was like kind of in a bad mood and I don't know why it's like the winter time and it's rainy in Portland and I said this is a good moment and there was something just really resetting not against like so toxic positive is not like yeah it's gloomy and I don't like the gloom and it's there's stuff and I'm tired and that's all true, but this I'm alive and like I'm healthy and I have, you know, I just went to the acupuncturist and like that was really nice. Like this is a good moment. So like playing around with those words, I think can be a nice thing. So how do you know when it's toxic positivity and like no, I'm not having a good moment? Don't tell me I'm having a good moment. Yeah. I'm having a bad moment. Yeah. What do you address that? Like at certain times you just ask yourself, do I want is it a choice? Like, do I want to be seeing the good moment or do I want to give empathy and compassion to the bad moment that I'm feeling? Yeah. I mean, I think that that you should have said that really well. But I think toxic positivity is like when we get linear about, you know, like this is a good moment. Like, what are you talking about? Like other people have it worse, like where we don't negate, where we do negate the hard stuff that might be happening for us or the pain. Like that's when it becomes toxic, you know, like so as long as we're making space for whatever is here for me now. So when I was on the, in the car this morning and I said, this is a good moment, I wasn't like, I wasn't judging myself and I wasn't saying, come on, Leia, get it together. Like, what's right? Right. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't feel if I'll go to bed early tonight. It's OK. This will pass. Also, this is a good moment. I love like, that. Gosh, my kids are both in school. Thank God they're healthy. Like, we're good. And I right. you know, like, yeah, right. So it's a balance. It's opening ourselves up to the whole thing. And right. if we open ourselves up to the whole thing, then how could we not find some gratitude? Like, there is a lot. There is stuff to be grateful for. Right. So I do. It's funny that you say that I in the morning I do. It's a good morning with um esther hex mm -hmm. so i'm like it's a good morning it's a really good morning it's a really really good morning it's a 12 minute meditation that i do every single uh -huh. morning and it's just like before i even get my thoughts going i'm programming my mind for a foundation of a good morning because right yeah. now and when right this moment it's a good morning it's a good morning yeah a beautiful yeah, morning nice. And it goes through the whole mindfulness that I'm more aware. Today, I'm more aware than I was yesterday. I know that everything that's happening to me is for me. And, uh -huh. and we're not victims. Like, so it just, even if there's like, even though there'll be challenges, I'll tap into my, into what I have in order to figure it out and uh -huh. I'll get through it. Yeah. Today. And yeah. that it's liberating from victim into like, oh my God, it's gloomy, it's icky, it's uh -huh. nasty, into we have options. It's really a good morning. We have a new yeah. day. We have yeah. a new opportunity. To me, gratitude is uh, is my oxygen mask. So whenever I'm feeling stressed, I do my deep breathing, the really mindfulness. Like my kids make fun of me because I was recently, I was, we were in Florida last week for winter break. And we went this digital golfing or whatever it's called. I'm very, I have no patience for these things. So I just uh -huh. sit there on the side. The barista came over after an hour and she's like, are these your children? I said, yeah. And one of them is in Israel. So she's like, what a happy, sweet family. Oh. And she's like, they all look so happy. And they're so well behaved. I said, oh, just come on a Friday. You'll see other ones. <laughs> <laughs> so she says, you're not playing. I said, no, I don't have patience for this. So my daughter's like, yeah, she just wants to sit and meditate all day. Or <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I'm like, it's out. And she's like, yeah. And then to like just relax in her bed, like with her door closed. And I'm like, I'm so proud that I'm showing my children that that's beautiful. Like that it's okay. <laughs> I value my time alone and it's okay. And I uh -huh. wanted, and I could love them and want to be alone at the same time. And I cherish mindfulness moment because it recharges me, really recharged me. Yeah. You know, when they were so blunt about it, I'm like, oh my God, it's the people that don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> 
You could tell. So, but it was like so cute how they knew me so well. She's supposed to look at butterflies and meditate all day. Hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> that is, but so but it's all like it's a balance. I do believe that if I was not busy in my life, the meditation and the mindfulness wouldn't oh, be yeah. an oxygen to write. But it really, sure. really is. So, Dr. Leah, I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna. I love saying Dr. Leah, Dr. Cat. <laughs> First of all, I want you to pick up the book. I want you to show the book. Okay. I want everybody to myself. So tell me if it's that. It's, yeah. Okay. Here. This is the book. What do you love working with your clients on? What's your forte? I love working with, I work with a lot of teen girls and women with anxiety and depression and like some trauma. And so that's just, that tends to be, I mean, I work with people beyond that too, but I love working with that population. And we do a lot of, see, I love, because like part of my clinical training is I use a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, so skill-based work, but I feel like the mindfulness stuff creates this cushion for it, you know, so just helping people learn the language of self-love and self-compassion. It's moving for me to watch other people move themselves and like either relate differently to the hard stuff. So it, it fills me up. I'm very it, it's humbling, right? It's so humbling, humbling. to see the yeah. work that's done, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. Totally. Wow. It's beautiful. Do you do EMDR? No, I, you know, I, I've never gotten trained in EMDR. I'm thinking about it, but no. I... So when you say you do trauma work, so you're saying you approach trauma uh -huh. from the CBD world? like Yeah, I mean, you can do, there's all kinds of ways of working with trauma. So you can use some cognitive behavioral therapy. There's also like some other forms of therapy, something called internal family systems. That's right, right. Do you do that? Uh, I do. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trained in it, but I've yeah. definitely. Yeah, okay. It. And it does, you know, sync up with other trainings that I've had. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because with trauma work, there's like a lot of overlap with like EMDR is like a very specialty thing, but also like it uses a lot of the exposure work that comes from cognitive behavioral therapy, right. like where we learn to talk and, and tolerate the uncomfortable things and give it a narrative. So like there's a lot of you see like the more trainings as a psychologist that I go on, you see like there's lots of overlap between the different modalities and then some distinctions, you know, so. Yeah. What legacy do you want to leave in the world? Oh, wow. That's a big question. What legacy do I want to leave? I mean, I think just the stuff that I talk about, you know, I hope that if it helps some people like this idea that life could be different, you can be kinder to yourself and you can live this fulfilling, meaningful life. And, you know, that would be very powerful to me. And we didn't talk about this today, but I think the power of like connecting with other people is really profound, too. So offering that to others, like me focusing on the connections I have with other people and offering that, you know, as a idea, something to think about for other people, like how to find that connection, because it's important. Do you work on Zoom? Do you see Actually, on Zoom? You do. I do. I'm licensed in New York and Oregon. Oh, okay. Okay. And do you have openings for new clients or is it hard to see you? Well, so it's interesting because I was at a group practice for almost the whole time that we lived in Portland and I just opened up my own practice a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, like it comes and goes, I'm like pretty full, but I occasionally right. I'll take off clients depending okay. on the ebb and flow of things. Yeah. Okay. So it's good to know that if somebody wants to work with you, they could reach out and see it. Sure. Oh, always reach out. Always okay. And follow Leah on Instagram. Every day is an inspiring, um, inspiring thought. I feel like I get therapy from you every day just because of your <laughs> Instagram. It's so brilliantly um, said, so gentle, so kind, so loving, and so informative and helpful. Like, really, I don't so know how you come up with all those that material, but it's a lot and it's good and it's step by step. Like, you really give good tips. So follow oh. you on Instagram. What is your Instagram handle? It 
at Dr. Dr. Period Leia Katz. It's interesting because okay. Instagram's such a funny place. Like people will like impersonate you, but that's my only account. Dr. Period yeah we'll put it in the show notes we'll put it in the show notes we're going to put a link to the book in the show notes and how to if you have a website we'll put yeah. that in the show notes yeah 100 percent. yeah okay and leave us with my last question that i like to ask everybody what does hope oh. mean to you uh what does hope mean to me <laughs> i think hope means the belief that we could create the life for ourselves that we want like just agency knowing that we have so much more power and control over our life than we know and part of the control is how we meet the stuff that we can't control you know so yeah that's that's what hope like that i've got agency here in anything even the stuff that i can't control that's so so beautiful people sometimes say to me i don't have a choice and i'm like do you really not have a choice or the choices that you have all look really hard to deal with. So you're saying you don't have a choice, but do you really not have a choice? Right, exactly. On that happy note of hope and choice and that we could be the masters of our lives, right? We can be a masters of our lives and take control of our lives, of our health, of our surroundings, yep. of our thoughts, mm-hmm. our desires, our dreams, right? Thank you very much for your work. Thank you for inspiring me. Thank you for being like such a breath of fresh air. And thank you, Elisheva, again for introducing me to Dr. Leah Katz. Oh, Until next you. time. Yeah. And hopefully, what did we say we're going to speak about next time? Oh, this is a good one, actually. Navigating religious differences in your relationship with your partner, spouse. Right. Or with a family member. Family. Right. And it could be also children. Could be totally your brothers, sisters. Yeah. So or with friends even. But sometimes it happens. We were saying that it happens a lot of times in a marriage that you think that, you know, life and then you get into marriage and then things happen in the marriage that you never thought would happen. And then you're like, okay, wait, this is not what we signed up for. How could it be? And and the differences and especially when you get married so young like this. So there's a lot to talk about. Right. Thank you again for joining and bye till next time. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening till the end. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. In Mental Health Together is Better, you being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com and see what other offerings we have there for your mental health well-being. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Bye till next time. Looking to reduce your anxiety and stress, relax your muscles, or get a better night's sleep? Check out Maxifies.com, 100% legal hemp, where you can find doctor-formulated, lab-certified, high-quality CBD oils, tinctures, and other items, cultivated, grown, harvested, and packaged in the United States, and available in different sizes and strength formulas. Check out Maxifies.com, that's M-A-X-I-F-Y-Z.com, and use coupon code HOPE to get 10% off your order, plus free shipping. That's Maxifies.com.